0: Something so important to deal with on this episode today, Um, if you were with us for the first day on Tuesday, we dealt with, um, now we're talking about, if you haven't seen the the advertisement, we're talking about these four uh, real enemies of your nonstop victory. The enemy has no new tricks. He's still doing the same things today that he's always done, and we just have to be Uh, ready for it. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices or his plans. We're not ignorant of his schemes. And that's what we're doing really this week. I'm exposing his schemes, the same stuff he's always done. He's still trying to do. And so we're not ignorant of it. Good morning, JP. And so on the first day, Tuesday, we dealt with the first enemy of nonstop victory, which is a spirit of doubt and unbelief. A spirit of doubt and unbelief. If you haven't seen it, you got to go back and watch it. Three things that we saw. Number one, the devil questions God's word. Then he manipulates God's word. And then he contradicts God's word, which leads to disobeying God's word. That was day one, spirit of doubt and unbelief. Yesterday, we dealt with a spirit of fear that the enemy tries to put on God's people to harass their minds, to harass their lives. They can't even rest well. And that's why, as I was teaching yesterday, I said, faith brings rest. Faith brings rest. No question about that, that when you're walking in the spirit of faith, it also brings a spirit of peace and a spirit of rest into your life. You can sleep through the night. You don't have to wake up four and five times wondering how you're going to make it faith brings rest. And so the enemy tries to use a spirit of fear that was yesterday. If you missed that, go back and check it out today. Uh, we're dealing with the third enemy of your nonstop victory. And I want you to start again today by putting this in the comments, putting this in your notes is that put, put it like this nonstop victory is my portion. Nonstop victory is my portion. That's exactly what we're declaring today. You're not called to go up and down. You're not called to go forward, then back. It's not, as I've said for years, roller coaster Christianity. It is ever increasing, ever increasing faith. And nonstop victory is your portion in Jesus' name. That's right. Nonstop victory is your portion. Yes, that's part of your inheritance. Uh, I love what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15:57. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. That's it, Brian. John Puma. Amen. Lena. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have the victory. Nonstop victory is my portion. In Jesus' name, it's your portion. And so, what is the third area? And that's what we're dealing with today. And as you saw, if you got my message this morning, this affects 100% of Christians, no question about it. I've now been in the ministry for over 20 years. I've seen uh, the enemy try to attack churches and families and people. And this, what we're dealing with today, is without question, without question, one of the number one things that I see the devil using Uh, to bring division into the body of Christ and to bring division to where it strips you of your ability to overcome. And I'll explain how in this uh, message today, but it's number three, put it in the comments, the spirit of offense, the spirit of offense. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that uh, and how it plays into your faith and to your victory and what the Bible has to say about this the spirit of offense very dangerous thing to mess with to mess with to be constantly offended, easily offended and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, if you can keep yourself from this one thing, it will save you so much in life. It'll save you so much. I can't even begin to tell you how much pain, sorrow, issues, problems, drama, It will save just by not giving in and submitting or yielding to the spirit of offense. And and I want to deal with this. I want to start by, because this is something even prophetic. I want to get into 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because in this passage, Paul is prophesying about the, the last days, which we're living in. In fact, if you didn't know this, we've been living in the last days since the day of Pentecost, according to the prophet Joel and Peter, the apostle who quoted Joel's prophecy. Um, But in 2 Timothy chapter four, I wanna read you verses one through four, and we're gonna see this prophetic word from the apostle Paul about the last days, and then what it means to us uh, as we're looking at this. Um, He's speaking to his son in the gospel, Timothy, obviously. And he says in verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now look at verse 3 and verse 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Oh man. And they will wander off into myths. If we're not living in that day right now, I don't, I don't know if there ever, if that day ever existed. And so you say, what are you talking about? Well, one of the things that happens when you allow yourself, to, and this is, by the way, this is a sign of an extremely immature Christian, because I want you to see this. Paul prophesies that in the last days, you're going to have people that will not endure sound doctrine. It's very interesting to me that um, the word sound in the Greek language there, it really means healthy doctrine, healthy doctrine. So really what people want is unhealthy doctrine, unhealthy doctrine. And so what happens is that people start preaching things that the flesh loves to hear that the carnal mind loves to hear. And that is unhealthy doctrine, which produces unhealthy fruit. Woo! I could go on that for about an hour about how you'll know them by the tree producing either healthy fruit or rotten fruit, right? And so if you've got rotten fruit, it's a sign that the thing that you're planted in is rotten doctrine. Not sound, it's not healthy. But if you've got healthy fruit that you're producing, it's a sign that you have submitted yourself to a healthy doctrine that, produce, that causes you to produce good fruit. Well, what stops people? What stops people? Because notice, notice the rest of Paul's instruction here. He says this, uh, people will not endure sound teaching, uh, but he said you've got to preach the word. And you've got to be ready in season and out of season, look at this, to reprove to rebuke, to exhort, to repu- to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. Well, everybody understands what it means to. Um, everybody understands what it means to rebuke someone, and everybody understands really what it means to exhort someone, to encourage them, to to, uh, um, as he's doing here, charge them, encourage them to exhort them, right? But what does it mean to reprove? There's a difference between rebuking and reproving. One of the things, it's it's like a reprimand. It's it's showing you you're wrong here. We need to course correct, right? We need to course correct. Now, here's the problem. This is why I'm dealing with a spirit of offense, spirit of offense, is because if you are an immature believer, The dangerous thing is that you now are in a position where you cannot receive correction. I like the way that Ninja Buddha said that. To reprove is to give a chance to improve. It's an excellent way to say it. Ninja crushed it. Excellent way to say it. To reprove is to give a chance to improve. It's course correction. But what happens? The devil tries to sow a spirit of offense. And we live in that day today where everybody's offended about everything, everything. And man, if you were to correct, if you were to uh, reprove, if somebody got a a correction or, or, oh man, who do they think they're talking to? You know, immediately the guard goes up. Immediately uh, people start um, freaking out because they got a correction. They got a reprimand from some kind of a leader or a spiritual leader. Even people do it at at work, their boss. Who's he think he is talking to me like that, telling me when I got to get my, he's your boss. He's your boss, he's bringing correction. And this is a massive trick of the devil. I want you to hear me right off the bat. This is a massive trick of the devil to bring in division into your life, into the body of Christ, into churches, and try to bring uh, an issue where people, they leave. Do you know, when you hear, now there, of course, there are people that truly have been through church hurt, that have truly been through real abuses from authority, real abuses, you know, uh, whatever that might be. But I've been in this my whole life. And I can tell you that the majority of people that uh, talk about that, well, I don't, I don't go to that church anymore. I just experienced church hurt over there. You know what it really is a lot of times is that they don't want to submit to authority they don't want to take correction if they get correction they get corrected they get all upset they get all offended I'm take I'm going to another church I'll take my tithe check somewhere else and they get mad and they get offended and then it brings division and it disconnects them from the body and it's it's an attack of the devil to bring division God's looking for unity but the devil brings division It is a, no question, Liz Mendez, it is a form of pride. No question. There is no question about that. No question about that. So, uh, I mean, I've seen it my whole life. I've watched these things happen. You know, what's interesting is you, you can even test, or the Bible says, try the spirits. You can test people to see where they're at in their spirit. We had a, uh, a service one time where a lady came in and she brought in, now, listen, I mean, if you've followed my ministry for any period of time, <clears throat> you've probably heard me tell stories like this. But a lady came in. She didn't just come in the service with one uh, flag to wave. You know, and she, she told me they were prophetic flags. She didn't just come in with one flag to wave. She brought in a golf bag on wheels that would hold golf clubs. And she had an entire grouping Of flags I guess that were for different things in her golf bag on wheels and she wheeled that bad boy to the front and she set up shop at the altar and she took those flags out and she was just going off all over the front of the altar and everything like that well what I uh, noticed what I noticed was that uh, rather than just worshiping Really, it was distracting everyone else in the service, right? When we come to church, the focus is Jesus Christ. It's worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when things take place that begin to take the focus off of Christ, it becomes a distraction for others that have come to seek Jesus, right? And so, I don't, I don't have any problem with worshiping and shouting and dancing and praising God. There's a time for that. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of what I mean. There's a time for those things. You know, if we're in the middle of the praise and worship service and everybody's shouting and clapping and dancing, whatever, praise God for that. We're worshiping the Savior. We're worshiping Jesus Christ. But there comes a time where it's time to receive the word. It's time to sit and receive. But if you got somebody that while the word is going out, And people are receiving the word, just keeps getting up and, ah, you know, I mean, we've had, I mean, we've had stuff like that. I had a lady that would not stop talking through my whole message. Anything I'd say, she'd speak back out. Like, 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 it was like some kind of a, you know, call and answer. I finally just told her over the microphone, sister, just be quiet. Nobody came here to hear you talk. And I, you know, I was young. I was young, but it's a distraction. It distracts people from what they're there to do, receive the word of God, worship the savior. And so uh, I corrected that. Well, this lady came in with her bag of flags. It was a bag of flags (laughs) and she set them up at the altar. Well, I noticed that she was going back and forth. I'm looking around the auditorium and people aren't worshiping anymore. They're just watching this lady. They're just watching this lady do her thing. And so I was like, this is not of the Lord because it's taking the focus away from Jesus. It's taking people out of their worship and to focus on her. So I just had an usher tell her, ma'am, we don't mind if you wave that, but just go take it to the back where it's not in front of everyone's face and do it behind the chairs. Oh man, she got so angry as though we had shut down God's plan for man and she jammed her flags back in her golf bag and stormed out of the service. Well, that right there reveals what her spirit was like. Was her spirit truly humble before the Lord? Was her tr- was her spirit a worshipful spirit, a-, a loving spirit? No, no, she was quick to be offended because she couldn't be the center of attention. She was quick to be angry because she couldn't have all eyes on me. You're not Tupac. So, you know, it's like, I don't understand How that people can't see that very simple thing that there, there are things that are a distraction, but if, if correction comes, if correction comes, you got to be humble enough to say, oh yes, let me receive that correction. Let me abide by that. Let me, you're in the flesh. You're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. We were, we were having a service and the power of God hit and, uh, uh, where was I? Pennsylvania. And I was in Pennsylvania and we're having the service power God hit the place. And people started running around the auditorium. I mean, a, a lot of people. Well, then there comes this guy across the front. Uh, it's Apparently, it's not enough for him to run around with everybody else that is getting blessed by the worship and the praise, whatever. He has to crawl on hands and knees across, you know, making these noises. I don't know if he thought he was a dog or what. But I told, I mean, I saw it one time, this guy crawling on his hands and knees in circles around the auditorium. I said, tell the usher, tell him to, I said, usher, tell him to get up and either do it, you know, do it normally or go sit down. <clears throat> you know, what are you doing? And so this guy, all offended now <clears throat> that he can't crawl on his hands and knees and look like a dog in the service, goes back to his chair and sits there the rest of the service with, with his arms folded, crossed with an angry face. <clears throat> you know, oh, he was so into it two seconds ago. Until he was told and given an instruction, oh, now he's mad. So you can see, it's not the Holy Ghost, you know? It's not the Holy Ghost, and it's not like I needed a word of knowledge to know it wasn't the Holy Ghost, but it's just a proof. It's a test. Your spirit's not submitted to God. Your spirit's not submitted to God. That's why you can't take one instruction from authority, and you're angry. You're mad. You go and fold your arms in the back, right? and I get that but that's 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 a sign of carnality and immaturity and it keeps people out of the blessing of God because it brings division and if you can't receive correction then you can't receive direction if you can't receive correction you can't receive direction paul's dealing with that there's coming a day where people will not endure sound teaching they'll not they'll wander away from what's right and what why because they can't receive correction reproof, rebuke. They can't receive exhortation. They just can't. And so they get angry they get bent out of shape and then they go to another church. I'm going to tell you something, brother. I, I have, I've experienced church hurt. No, you haven't. It's that you have a rebellious spirit and you can't take correction. And so as a result, you just leave anytime time there's structure. You leave anytime time there's structure. And that's, <clears throat> we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And so you watch and you can see this, the devil tries to use a spirit of offense to try to take people out of their victory, because watch this now, if you cannot get, uh, proper teaching and correction and reproof, then you cannot receive the victory that you're believing for. You cannot receive the victory that you're believing for. And I love that Liz Mendez, uh, pointed this out. There's Carolyn in the comments. Love you, Carolyn. But Liz Liz Mendez pointed it out, she says, isn't that a form of pride? She's exactly right. It's a massive form of pride. But what does the Bible say about that kind of a spirit? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, right? So no question about this, pride does bring destruction. Go on further. What is what did James write in James chapter 4 God opposes the proud but gives more grace more favor favor to who the humble so no question about it that's exactly right that this quick to be offended comes out of pride and so that's why I'm warning you against it today as this number 3 in the series is that this spirit of offense It is a form of pride that God begins to resist you actively and then it goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so that's why if you can't receive direction and correction, what happens? You end up in a place you weren't meant to be. Woo, man. Let me say that again. If you can't receive correction and direction, you'll end up in a place you did not mean to be. I mean, I'm thinking about it. If you've ever um, had to turn on your uh, Google Maps or something, Apple Maps, to get to a place you've not been before. I've used this analogy so many times. We would think a person was insane if they started getting angry and offended and mad at Google Maps or Apple Maps because the voice came on and gave us a direction on the GPS. We would think the person we were driving with was out of their mind if the phone piped up and said, in 300 feet, turn right and the person got all ticked off at the steering wheel. I don't know who this phone thinks they are that you can boss me around. You're not the boss of me. I'll turn right when I feel like turning right. I'm not turning right in 300 feet. I'll turn right in three miles when I feel like turning right. But we would think they were out of their mind. Because isn't it funny how people can understand, oh, if I want to get to my destination as quickly as possible and with as little delay as possible, this program understands how to do it, I'm just gonna follow the instructions, right? So what is that? Really, Google Maps is correcting you, right? Because you're on a certain path, and it's saying stop traveling on this path and take a right here in 300 feet. Think about that. It's not just direction. Google Maps, Apple Maps is correcting you. Because you could stay on 95, interstate 95 as much as you want you could stay on it and stay on it but you know if you're headed uh you know down to miami or up the coast but you're trying to get to a specific city listen it's correcting you if you want to get where you say you want to go then i'm correcting you stop driving on 95 and tech take exit 173 right now so I don't, I'm not taking no exit 173. Okay, well, then you can keep driving on 95 all the way until you get to northern Maine. And you didn't want to end up in northern Maine, but I've driven 95 all the way up into Maine. I've done that. That's not where you wanted to end up. You were trying to get to a city in Florida. So, but because of you, I can't take instruction. Who's who's that Apple Maps think they're talking to telling me to turn off onto this exit? I'll, I know where I'm. Okay. It's telling you how to get where you're supposed to go in the quickest way possible. So listen, you could get all the way to Maine and realize your mistake and say, oh, shoot, I got to turn around and go back to Florida. That's a big mistake. And so when correction comes, it's direction. Instead of spending 10 years in a place you weren't supposed to be, take a correction. Take direction from the Spirit of God, from spiritual leaders, and quickly get to the place that God has for you. But see, that's why the enemy doesn't want you to be able to receive direction and correction because he wants you in no man's land. He wants you way out in the middle of nowhere where you were never called to be, and sit there. And then you're sitting there wondering, how did I even end up here? How did I even end up here? What is going on with my life? What is going on with my? Life? How did I get here? But if you receive correction and direction, right? I love this passage. Judge yourself and you'll not be judged. Woo! Judge yourself and you'll not be judged. What what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. What about people that spend their whole life not judging themselves in their diet and exercise for their physical health? What will happen at some point? At some point, the doctor will judge them. Right. The doctor will judge them. The doctor will say, listen, you've destroyed your body by your diet and lack of exercise. And now you're pre-diabetic. You're diabetic. Now you have heart disease. Now you have high blood pressure. Now you have whatever it might be. Oh, man. Well, you know, and then what's going to happen? Well, because you didn't judge yourself. Now he has to judge you. Now he has to be the one that corrects your diet. Now he has to put you on medication. Now you might need a surgery. How he has to judge your body now because you didn't judge your body. It's the same thing in the spirit realm. If you'll judge yourself now, you won't be judged later. That's why wise people, they seek out correction. That's why wise people, they want to know what they should do. They want to know how to, how they should properly move forward. That's humility. That's humility to say, what should I know that I don't know? Tell me, let me learn, let me, I don't know everything. Teach me what I need to know. Direct me, correct me, bring me into the air, right? That's humility to say, I don't know everything. I need some correction. I need some direction. That's humility. And humility is a strength. I want to say it like this, and and this will help you. It's a good way to remember it because humility and meekness, they're about the same thing. Humility, meekness. But put this in the comments meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Just because I'm humble doesn't mean I'm weak. Humility is a strength. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power, it's strength. That's why if you are meek, if you are humble, You better believe God is getting behind you 100% to add more grace and more favor to your life. He resists the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. Meekness is not weakness. People think that they're going to be less strong or they'll appear like they, they don't have it together if they have to ask somebody else, you know, for advice or ask somebody else for instruction, correction, direction, Right. But meekness is a strength. Meekness brings the favor of God. Hmm. Proverbs 19, I want to bring this up to you. Proverbs 19:11, this is a uh, a wonderful verse to keep in your spirit. Offense cannot be a part of our life. Listen to this. Proverbs 19:11 says, "Good sense makes one slow to anger." And it is his glory To overlook an offense. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Thank you, Jesus. So can we talk about this for a minute? Because if we go away from the the first example of receiving correction and direction from spiritual leadership, what about people you deal with on a day-to-day basis? Because here's another area where the enemy will try to bring offense in to your life to destroy your ability to walk in nonstop victory, right? So, so look at it this way. What about people that you might end up having issues with? What about people that it's not even misplaced? It's truly, they did something that was wrong to you. They said something to you that was out of place, or they, maybe you found out they talked about you behind your back, or maybe they treated you in a way that was not right. Let me just break this down because this is a very important principle for every Christian, uh, because the Bible teaches we're not to repay evil with evil. We're not, we're not to repay as Christians. We don't repay evil with evil. And so what do you do when you get to that place? Well, you have now an opportunity because there are people that will, without a doubt, commit an offense against you, right? They will breach, they will commit an offense against you right but when that happens you now have a choice to make you now have an opportunity they committed the offense but now it's your choice whether or not you'll be offended it's not your offense it was theirs they made the mistake but now it's your choice whether or not to be offended they have the offense you won't be offended and so it's like what i just read it is their glory proverbs 19:11 to overlook an offense it is their glory to overlook an offense listen to james 1:19 the bible says know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Look at that. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what does the devil want to do? He wants to get you ticked off. (laughs) The devil wants to get you ticked off at people. He wants you angry at people. He wants you no I'm not I'm not going to be talking. Look, I'm blocking him on all social media. I'm not ever going to talk to him. I'm not taking his calls. I'm blocking his number. I'm done with them. I'm cutting them. That's how the devil wants you to act with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants you to get angry, ticked off, hold a grudge, hold an offense against them. Right? But I want to break that down because what do we do? Well, Jesus taught what we do. In Matthew chapter 18 and we want to we want to look at this and make sure we know exactly what we're supposed to be doing see because the devil would like nothing more than to have division in the body of Christ division destroys unity brings strength the devil would like nothing more than to divide us divide and conquer divide and conquer right and that's what offense does brings a a division that has no business being in the body of christ no business in your church as a youth pastor one of my uh first jobs as a youth pastor is to break up all the cliques that would quickly try to form within the uh youth group break those cliques up get people don't only talk to these two girls go talk to the other girls don't only hang with these two guys, go talk to the other guys. Stop forming little factions, right? Cuz that's what'll happen. So you break that up because then that also brings a division and then they start working against one another. Anybody that's done any kind of student ministry knows what I'm talking about and it starts and then this little one starts talking about that little one and they're against them and they have an issue with them and then there's drama and then there's problems. Did you hear what they said about her and did you, she said your outfit doesn't even fit? I mean, you know. And it's like, you know, then you have problems. It's division because of cliques, factions. Paul had to break them up in the Corinthian church. He said, quit with the cliques, quit with the factions. I've heard the stories. Some of you are saying, yeah, we're, we're, I'm of Paul and other people, I'm of Apollos. He said, stop doing that. We're all, we all have positions in the body of Christ. Stop making little factions and little clubs and bringing division into the body, right? Don't have the Paul club and the Apollos club, right? I planted, Apollos watered, God gives the increase. We all have a part to play, but we're all one. We're all one in the family, amen. And I remember my father, one of his first uh, revivals that he ever preached after getting married with my, to my mom and they come into this church, it's the Sunday morning service. It's the Sunday morning service. Never been to this church before. And uh, they come in and um, my father can feel something's not right in the church. And the Lord speaks to him and tells him that something's not right in this church. So he gets up and takes the mic for the first service ever, the revival that's supposed to go the week. And he says, the Lord says that you all need to repent. There's something not right. You need to repent and I'll be back for service tonight. He said, come on, Bonnie, get your purse, we're leaving. And I mean, that's all he said. They got their stuff and left. And everybody was kind of sitting there like, what in the world is going on? Well, my father didn't know in the natural what was happening. The pastor knew, the people knew that for years there had been a massive family grudge in that church. And all the people from one family sat on this side And all the people from the other family sat on this side and they would not cross the aisle. They would not speak to one another. They would not interact with one another. Nothing. I mean, heavy grudge going on. Well, God can't move in the midst of all that junk. God, you can't have revival where all this uh, division and hatred and problems. You can't have revival in the midst of all that. God doesn't move. Faith doesn't move in that atmosphere which I'll talk about in a minute. Faith doesn't move in that atmosphere. And so they were all against each other. They all had issues with one another, all fighting with one another. And my father knew it by the Holy Ghost and said, repent, I'll be back tonight, start the revival and left. And they went and got, I think, a breakfast or, or brunch or whatever. And so they come back. Well, what my dad didn't know, he didn't know about those grudges. But after he said that, the power of God hit that place after he left and people started getting up on both sides of the sanctuary and crying and coming across the aisle and hugging one another and apologizing to one another, being restored to one another. And I mean, it was a miraculous thing, supernatural thing. And when they came back that night, the power of God hit the place and they had the best revival that the church had ever had In the history since that pastor was there in fact it was so powerful that the pastor got up at the final part of the week uh, on the last night he said folks the church has not been in this good of a position in the entire time i've been the pastor he said i'm going to leave on a high i'm giving my resignation tonight you've had your breakthrough praise god and the pastor gave his resignation left on a high with victory everybody restored to one another Well, what happens? The devil wants that. I'm not talking to her. I'm not talking to him. We don't interact with them anymore. They they burnt me too many times. And then there's division and there's problems and God can't work. And you can't have victory. You can't. Why can't you have victory? Because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6 that faith works by love. Faith works by love. Love, if you are not operating in love, you're not operating in faith. You can't because love is the channel by which faith is released. Faith works by love, hallelujah. You know, when you step out of love, you've stepped out of God because the Bible says God is love. You can't be outside of love and be in God and in His will because God is love. You can't hate That's why uh, John uh, wrote in in 1 John, he said, See, faith works by love. You know, and that's why I always point out Mark chapter 11. We love to read Jesus' words. Have faith in God. You know, if you speak to the mountain and tell it to, Uh, be cast into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart, but believe that the things you've spoken will come to pass. You'll have whatsoever you say. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. And then we stop quoting. You stop quoting there, but Jesus wasn't done talking. In verse 24, he spoke another verse, verse 25, which is something that a lot of people don't want to read, but the Bible says, believe that you've received it and it will be yours and, so there's more to the story. There's more to the story, right? And, whenever you stand praying, forgive. Oh, there it is. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who's also in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. Huh. Said so the audio's breaking up or going in and out. Okay. Um, but you see how the devil works? He wants to get you offended. He wants to uh, break up relationships. He wants to break up friendships. Why? Because of the uh, knowing the truth. Faith works by love. Faith works through love. Forgiveness. Right? You can't hold grudges. You can't hold grudges and then wa- ex- expect God to bless you and bring you into victory, nonstop victory. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So that's a trick of the devil. Now, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? We have high bit rate here. I don't know, JT, what the issue is. We've never had a low bit rate in the office. But what did Jesus teach? Maybe refresh your YouTube and come back. Jesus taught Matthew chapter 18. Look at this. Verses 15 through 17. I want you to get this. If your brother sins against you. Okay, so there it is, right? He's the one who committed the offense your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone now if people you know if people would just use that advice by itself it would solve so many problems that it would blow people's minds rather than telling all your friends about it rather than posting vague posts on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else rather than doing all that, rather than uh, getting offended, just go to the person and talk to them one-on-one. That's what the Bible says to do. If there's, if there's something going on, if your brother even sins against you, you go go to him. You go to him. Don't wait for him to come to you to apologize. Well, I'll speak to him again when he apologizes, Right? People do that. Well, I'll talk to them again when they make it right. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you take the initiative. I know that's a hard thing to do. That takes maturity to do that. But the Bible tells us that. You take the initiative. You go and make it right. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. That'll solve so many issues right there that drama will leave your life forever. Well, what are you gonna do? Because you may end up talking to somebody who is uh, more immature in the faith. You might talk to somebody who is not as mature as you are and they don't wanna be reconciled to you. Maybe they don't wanna have, maybe they wanna stay in their little attitude. They wanna stay in their little problem. They wanna deal with that. Okay, well then if if the first thing doesn't work, Jesus said, Verse 16, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. There you go. So Kimberly asked, Kim Hughes said, but what do you do when they still won't listen? If they still won't listen, Jesus said, take two or three others with you or excuse me, one or two others with you so that every charge can be established in the, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so you try, what do you do? Take a couple brothers in Christ with you to try to explain uh, and, and to stand there and say, hey, listen, I'm trying to make this right with him. I want people to see I'm trying to make this right. I'm not trying to hold a grudge, not trying to have drama, right? And so then what do you do? The Bible says, uh, if he still refuses to listen, I'm this penny, this is Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17, Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17. So listen now, uh, if he still refuses, okay, now you've asked him privately, you've talked to her with witnesses that are present. Listen, I don't want this kind of drama. I want to be reconciled to you. Okay. Okay still won't listen. Then what? Then tell it to the church. Okay. You might get to the place where you have to bring in spiritual leadership because, because listen to me, this is so, so important. There's nothing the devil would love more than to destroy a church by division, offense, problems, and issues. So is there a point when you should try to bring in spiritual leadership? Absolutely there comes a time where you want to bring in your pastor or the the staff of the church and say, listen, I've I've tried to approach this person. I've tried to talk to this person. They won't receive me. They won't listen to me. I've brought witnesses. I've tried to work it out with them. They don't want to work it out. Then let the church hear it. Because there is, God gives authority to that pastor to lead that church well, right? And so to bring uh, unity to that body. So that God can move in that assembly. But look, and if he, tr- if he refuses even to listen to the church, interesting, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, let's break that down. What does that mean? Well, this is before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So there were no Christians yet. He's speaking to his people, the Jewish people. Well, treat him as a Gentile. Well, who is a Gentile? a Gentile is a person in this time period that did not serve God. This is a heathen. This is somebody that uh, does not at all uh, uh, have anything to do with the Most High God, not in covenant. Treat him like somebody, Jesus is saying, that has no covenant with God, meaning you then have no covenant with them. But let's go further. Jesus said also treat them like a tax collector. Now that, that doesn't mean Uh, much to us today because we don't understand the context, but understand the context with me. In the time Jesus is saying this, uh, Rome had occupied Jerusalem and Caesar was collecting taxes from the Jewish people. And because Rome's uh, soldiers were occupying the city, it it was now under the control of Rome. But watch this. Here's what they would do. They would take Jewish people, And hire them to be tax collectors, to tax their own people. And then it was kind of a known thing that there was wickedness, there was uh, um, crookedness, if you will. Cheating people, taxing them more than that necessary, skimming off the top. So the Jewish people, if you read the historical uh, thing here that you can, and I've I've encouraged you guys if you ever want to do this. Get the IVP Bible Background Commentary. IVP. Bible background commentary by Craig Keener. It gives you all kinds of cultural references and background to the New Testament. Uh, and there's one for the Old Testament as well, but it'll show you some things. Why tax collector? Because the Jews viewed their, their Jewish tax collecting brothers as traitors. That's an important thing that Jesus is saying here. View these people as traitors and and as people who do not have a covenant with God, Gentiles, heathen, wow, I mean, now that really jumps off the page, now that really jumps off the page to say, this is how serious Jesus thought this issue of forgiveness was, yes, Craig Keener, this is why Jesus thought this was so serious, that not to have divisions, not to come in and, and uh, hold grudges one, one against another, he knew it tears down God's work when people operate outside of walking in love and hold grudges and have offense and, and they feel it always walking and being offended. He said if you can't get these things worked out with these people then that's fine. At that point they've had three chances. They, they had a chance with you privately. They had a chance with you and your witnesses. They had a chance with you and the church And now they won't listen. That's three. It's not like we're, it's like that's three chances to have grace and mercy and you still reject it every time. Okay. Then bye Felicia. We don't, I don't want that in the house of God. We don't need that drama in God's house. We don't need that destructive cancerous spirit in God's house. And so goodbye. Goodbye. We don't need it. We don't want it. Treat them like a tax collector, a traitor. Treat them like a Gentile, a heathen. A heathen traitor. Have nothing to do with them. Did you know that that's what Titus said? What do you do? Oh yeah. That's right, Kelly. Refusing to listen is rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What do you do when people stir up divisions in the church? What what do you do when people try to stir up divisions uh, in your life? Well, Titus uh, Paul's letter to Titus tells us because uh, it's dangerous. That's why I'm dealing with it. It affects 100% of Christians. And it's a wicked, wicked attack of the devil. Listen to this. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, uh, verse 10 and 11, okay? Titus 3, 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned there's the same word to the new testament church that jesus was giving to the jews do you see that that's titus chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 as for a person Who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice. Have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Well, listen, uh, Paul, don't forget, um, Paul. this is one of Paul's pastoral epistles. He's talking to Titus, who is a pastor. So notice now, this is like when you get the church involved. And he's saying to Titus, listen, if you've dealt with these people, if it comes to your attention, warn them twice only. Twice only. So that means now what? They've had an opportunity to meet with the person privately. They've had an opportunity to meet with the person and their witnesses. And now that's been brought to the pastor, who is Titus, he said, warn them once, warn them twice, and then cut them off have nothing more to do with them knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned hmm you see that now that's from the church's standpoint why is God so hardcore on this because God knows Christ knows the Holy Spirit knows that this kind of division shuts down the moving of the Holy Spirit it brings division it keeps us from victory It keeps us from the blessing. It keeps us from breakthroughs that we've been believing for. Keeps us from that. That's why you've gotta keep it out at all costs and keep yourself from it. Judge yourself and you'll not be judged. We've gotta keep ourselves from this attitude of falling into offense. You say like, why is it so bad? Why is it so rough? I'll tell you why. Because let me tell you, there's times you'll actually be justified In feeling that way because someone really did do something against you they really did commit an offense against you and you've got every right to feel the way that you feel in the flesh however Jesus said no you be the one take the initiative and go find them and make it right you be the bigger one hallelujah you be the bigger one listen listen to uh, James chapter 3 this is interesting Because really as Liz said at the beginning of the broadcast, it is a spirit of pride that causes this offense to happen. But listen to James 3.16, then I'll read 18. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, hmm, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Hmm. Jealousy, selfish ambition. You start getting all about yourself. Paul prophesied this. In the last days, there were people that would be lovers of themselves and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that's right. And and Denise said, we have to give up our right to be offended. And that's right, because you do have a right. It was wrong what they did. It was wrong what they did. But you've got to be the person that brings peace. That brings peace. Look at this. The Bible says, and man is this good. Man is this good. James 3.16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So, so watch, the devil knows if he can get you into that kind of selfishness, where it's all about me, it's all about me, it will bring, what, disorder, which he would love to sow into the people of God and the church, and every vile practice so it will all stem out of that place James said it'll all stem out of disorder and selfish ambition it'll stem out of that every vile practice now go down to verse 18 James 3:18 and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace hallelujah a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace By those who make peace. That's why the Bible says blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is looking for people that will overlook. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that we are to make room for one another's faults. Make room for one another's faults. Of course, I've taught on this before. There are going to be people that do things they shouldn't have done. Of course there will be. Of course there will be. Listen to this, Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So so notice, this is a dangerous thing, and the devil would love to use it to bring that kind of uh, attack. But that's why the Bible says, God blesses peacemakers. He's blessing those who make peace. There's a harvest of righteousness because it brings nonstop victory, nonstop victory. You can't get me into a place of holding a grudge against you. Hallelujah. You can't get me into a place of keeping uh, harboring in my heart unforgiveness. You can't get me there. Bitterness, I'll never be there. Not bitter. Hallelujah, I'm not bitter. Do you know when Dr. Rodney Howard Brown started out in the ministry, there was a very well-known preacher, that tried everything in his power to shut down Dr. Rodney Howe Brown's ministry. Tried everything. He would, he would look to see where Dr. Rodney Howard Brown was scheduled to preach, and he would call those preachers and tell them, you, don't, you need to not have him into your church. You need to not have him into your church. And he would just literally try to ruin his ministry. And Dr. Rodney said, you know, every time it got back to me that that pastor had done that, that preacher had done that to me, I would send him a fruit basket. <laughs> I would send him a fruit basket. I'd send him a fruit basket. You know, and then you get to the place where you realize uh, <laughs> you realize it's you you act like that, and it can't take root in your heart. Bless those who curse you. Oh yeah. It's not going to set up in my heart. It's not going to set up and be, uh, harbor unforgiveness and grudges and issues. It's Not going to set up in my heart and be that for me. I'm not walking in unforgiveness. I'm not walking, holding grudges. That's not going to be me. So if I find that out, I'm going to bless the person. I'll bless the person. Cause it's not going, uh, it's not going to stay. It's not going to stay in my life. I'll tell you one before we go. Uh, I was preaching early on in my ministry. Maddie was still a baby and, um, this, this pastor called me up and said, uh, I want you to come preach at the church and um, let's, do, let's do a service. I said, I'm, I'm happy to come. I'm, uh, not only that, I'm in, I'm in the area, so I'm happy to be over there. And uh, so I come, right? I come to the church and the pastor comes in and um, now we're, we're talking. Pastor says, now listen, I want you to just do whatever you feel tonight. Now you preach. You pray for people, prophesy, do whatever you want, receive your own offering. I mean, I just want you to be blessed. I said, wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, remember, this is the beginning of my ministry. So we didn't have all that we have now. We didn't have the staff and we didn't have the partners and we didn't have the uh, anything. We didn't have anything. We were just starting out. And uh, this pastor said, now, listen, I want you to, I want you to just do whatever you feel, take your own offering, receive it for your ministry. Tell them what you're doing. You know, all of that. And, and I was like, thank you very much. We had a powerful service. I mean, people got healed. A lady that had a tumor in her neck that night, instantly that tumor disappeared. She was healed by the power of God. People were touched. Now, we had people who knew our ministry that came in from other places. It wasn't just her church people. We had people that knew us, that loved us, came in from other places for that service. Uh, business people wanted to bless us. And she said, yep, go ahead and, you know, receive your own offering. Well, uh, we did. I said, and man, people gave, people gave. I saw business people giving. I saw people sewing. All the people that gave, just generously giving in that offering. And uh, it was a great service, powerful service. And, um, and so after the service, I was talking to people before they were leaving or whatever. And this lady comes up to me. This lady comes up and says, hey, I want, I, I want to give you this. And she was handing me a white envelope. And so I said, Oh, thank you. And I held it because I was still saying goodbye to people and stuff like that. And when I got back to kind of change my clothes, I looked in the envelope and that lady had given me five $20 bills, $100. I thought, wow, that was so nice of that lady to sow a $100 seed into me like that. That was so very nice. And, and then the more I thought about it as I was changing, I thought to myself, hold on a second. I've seen that lady around the church and I've seen the pastor talk to her. She may have just given me my offering, which let me tell you what was given that offering was far more. I'm sure thousands of dollars came in. There were people, as I said, business people, people giving from their business. I'm sure thousands of dollars came in for our ministry. And this lady handed me a hundred dollars. And I thought, hold on a second. Uh, I think maybe she's giving me this as the offering for tonight. $100. $100. And so I thought, well, that's, that's weird. And so uh, I, I, I told the pastor, I said, so uh, just to check it out, you know, I said to the pastor, so pastor, were you going to just, um, uh, you know, give us the offering or were you going to just write one check to our ministry? How, how did you want to do that? And the pastor looked and said, oh, no, I thought, my, uh, I thought my assistant already took care of you. You know, the lady that gave me the, the $100 in an envelope. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, she did. I said, I just didn't know if giving me cash was, was cool with your bookkeepers and whatever, but that's fine. And she said, oh no, you just take that and be blessed. And I said, so I will. So you know what I did? Because I mean, that was straight up thievery. You know, that, that, that pastor stole, you know, and at that point you just have to be like, Lord, cause, cause here's what you have to do. You'll go to hell for that. People go to hell for, I mean, you can't be a thief. You steal, you go to hell. So at that point, you have to actually pray and say, Lord, I sow that offering into that person. I'm not, they're not stealing from me, Lord. I'm giving it to them. Don't hold it against their account. Don't hold it against their account, Lord. Don't let it be a sin to them. I release it to them. I sow it to them. Don't, don't let it be a sin. You have to do that because you don't want people going to hell. Well, I said, pastor, why don't you get, I said, why don't you get your staff, uh, your people here from the church and let's go over to Steak and Shake and, uh, let me take you guys to dinner now after the service. And, uh, so just to keep my heart right, right. Just to keep my heart right. I said, bring your, bring your staff with you. You come, you know, I got my family. Let's go over to Steak and Shake. (laughs) And so we left the church and we went over to Steak and Shake and sat down and everybody (laughs) ordered their burgers and fries and everything we're just hanging out and fellowshipping and everything like that and uh, i said i got this i got this and uh, when i went to pay uh the bill for all of her staff at you know steak and shakes like five bucks a plate uh, all the people that she brought and i brought and everything it was right about a hundred dollars once i added the tip and so i took those five twenties out the the offering that she gave me and i paid that steak and shake bill and I uh, said, so, well, God bless you. Thanks for having us into your church. And uh, she said goodbye and everything. But I made up of my mind. I'm not allowing this issue uh, to, to uh, you know, put me in a position where I'm offended now and I'm angry and I'm mad and I'm holding on un- my unforgiveness in my heart. Well, I'm sure I'm sure it's no surprise to you that here we are these years later and that pastor is no longer in the ministry. That pastor no longer has a church. That pastor's not doing anything for the Lord anymore. Well, you can't. You can't live your life that way and keep doing things like that in God's kingdom and be a thief and let and have God put his hand of blessing on you. It doesn't work. But see, there's tests that happen. And I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But there are tests that take place that the Lord, He'll, He'll he's watching you. Will you allow this to keep you in a place of unforgiveness and bitterness? Uh, I, I look back and laugh about it even now. You know, it's probably more funny now than it was then, but I look back and laugh. I'm not saying like, that stupid pastor holding that back, stealing from me. You know, I'm not doing that. And even then, just to make sure my heart was in the right place, I'll take it and spend it on you, you know, just so that you're blessed or whatever, because... I wanna make sure that my heart stays in a place of forgiveness, my heart stays in a place of love, my heart stays in a place where the Holy Spirit can move, right, because I refuse to let the devil use a spirit of offense. To keep me from victory after victory, breakthrough after breakthrough, increase after increase. I'm walking in love. I'm walking in forgiveness. I'm walking in peace. And the the devil will not steal my victory by tricking me into a place of offense and bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm not doing it. It's not going to come into my heart. It's not going to come into my house. It's not coming to my ministry. We walk in love. We bless those that curse us. Because truly you can't curse us. You can't curse us, you know that. You can't curse us because God is the one who said, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. Even if people tried to curse me, God brings people to bless me. So you can't curse what God's already blessed. You can't curse what God's already blessed, hallelujah. And so Father, I'm praying for the Victory Tribe today. I'm praying for those watching and listening that the enemy has tried to use this trap, this tactic, to bring unforgiveness and bitterness into their heart, to try to get them to hold grudges and to be offended about what's happened with other people, even if it's family members, even if it's those that are, are very close to them, those that are very close to them. And, and so I want to uh, ask you, Lord, today, touch their heart. Now, if you're watching and you've been dealing with this or you've maybe gone through this even uh Recently, I want you to pray with me today because, listen, I don't want this to be a root of bitterness in your life. I don't want this to be a place of unforgiveness where God can't touch you, where God can't use you, where He can't bless you. So I want you, if that's you, pray this with me today, whether you're on the podcast or watching on the broadcast. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I forgive those that have wronged me. I ask you today to give me peace in my heart. Give me a love for those that have used me. Give me a love for those that have worked against me. I pray you bless my enemies and those that have spitefully used me in Jesus' name. I release all bitterness in Jesus' name, all unforgiveness. I'll not hold grudges. I walk in love in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, let your hand of blessing be upon me as I move forward. Strengthen me to walk daily in supernatural forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.